LBC Podcast, where we explore Christian theology and practice for the building up of God's family. My name is Joel Lapierre, high school director at LBC, and it's my privilege to begin the new year with another episode of the podcast. Uh, but I'm not doing this one alone. In fact, I have with me today Pastor Roger. So thanks for coming on. Uh, my pleasure, Joel. <laughs> yeah, this is going to be fun. Uh, before we dive in, though, um, Sunday morning you were preaching. I was in second service, and uh, it was funny. Um, you mentioned that you had a 48-hour adventure coming back from Arizona over the Christmas break, and I laughed because I had the same, not tw- not 48 hours, but 24 hours. Um, Ann and I got stuck behind the snow. Um, up th- we were trying to go up the grapevine, and we, we couldn't get past it, so we had to stay in Santa Clarita for um, just overnight and everything. So it was pretty funny, but I'd love to hear a little more about your adventure. How'd that go? Yeah, Joel, it was lots of fun. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm sure. We left uh, Phoenix the uh, day after Christmas in the morning, and we went uh, Highway 40, so Kingman, Arizona, okay. over to Barstow. And we got into Barstow and and stopped for gas and by to eat and heard that Highway 58 was closed. Mm-hmm from Barstow to Bakersfield. And so uh, we got a motel in beautiful Barstow. (laughs) Yeah, beautiful. (laughs) And then we spent the night there. And so the next morning we'd get up and hit the road, and it takes us six hours to get from Barstow to Tehachapi. Oh, my. Due to an accident and then two lanes condensing to one plus all of the Christmas traffic, et cetera. So we get to Barstow in the afternoon, mid-afternoon, and we hear that they might be closing 58 from Tehachapi to Bakersfield because of black ice. Yeah, yeah. And so we decided we better get a hotel in Tehachapi. (laughs) <laughs> Although we learned later that we could have made it. They kept it open, and we would have made it just fine. But, oh, really? But okay. we didn't want to risk it and okay, yeah. get stuck on 58. We yeah. weren't prepared for that. Yeah. So. Was that Thursday night, or was that Friday night? Uh, th- Thursday night was Barstow. Okay, okay. Friday night was Tehachapi. And okay. We made it home Saturday morning. Okay, so. yeah. That's <laughs> funny. That's funny. Well, I'm glad you guys didn't attempt to go through that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. We uh, we are coming up Thursday night, and we were trying to determine whether we go through the grapevine or we go through the 58, and we've, we finally found out that it, just both ways were shut that night. And right, so, right. Yeah. yeah. We stopped in Santa Clarita and watched it watched little women and <laughs> it was it was really great and we eventually got a hotel i think we got like the last hotel room in like all of the area like wow it, it was really hard to find one because yeah. everyone was doing the same thing yeah so. same in tehachapi yeah. yeah yeah so really funny but thanks for sharing that yeah yeah, yeah. glad to be home <laughs> yeah i bet <laughs> i was tired after that trip it took us 24 hours so it was yeah. it's crazy but all right. Well, um, I invite you on today, Roger, because we're doing a new podcast series called What We Believe. And in this series, we are going to explore and discuss what we believe as a church. I, I think it's important that we think about these core beliefs and grow in our knowledge of them so we can better defend the gospel and support the growth of the church. What actually led me to uh, to this idea was you, Roger, um, because there was um, a staff meeting last year where we were going through the statement of faith together as a staff, and you were leading this this moment, and you were going over the the Holy Scriptures, the the first part of the statement of faith, and I remember just sitting there and listening, and also thinking to myself, 
wow, like this is really great stuff. I wish the rest of the church could hear this. And I leaned over to Chris Moore, who's sitting next to me, and I just wrote a note to him. This is a podcast right here. This would be amazing. So we're finally here now. Uh, it's 2020, and I'm really excited to start this series that we're going to slowly go. I don't even think we'll be able to finish it in a year, but maybe uh, in two years we'll finally go through the statement of faith. Don't worry, Roger. You don't have to do all of them. Good. good. <laughs> that would be a lot. Um, but we're going to, I'm really excited for this, what we believe series. So, but yeah, Roger, would you take us through the first tenet of our statement of faith? Yeah. The first, the first statement in our statement of faith has to do with the Holy scriptures and it's appropriately placed Mm -hmm. right at the first, because what we believe about the Bible uh, determines what we conclude about all of the other doctrines that we're going to consider. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the foundational statement regarding what we believe about the Bible, the foundation, the source of everything else we believe. So let me read through this statement, and then I'll try to elaborate on some of the, the terms that might not be real familiar to us. Uh, so it, it begins this way. We believe the Holy Scriptures or writings of the Old and New Testament and then in parentheses, the 66 canonical books. Now, canonical is taken from canon, which simply means list. Hmm. This is the six, the, the list. The Old and New Testament form the list of 66 books, which we believe to be the verbally inspired Word of God. By verbally, we mean every word. By inspired, we mean from the breath of God. God breathed. And then it goes on to say that this word of God is the final authority for faith and life. There's no other authority. It's the final authority for what we believe and how we should live. It is inerrant in the original writings. Inerrant means without error. And it refers to the original writings, which we no longer have. I'll get more into that a little bit later. <laughs> the statement goes on to say that it's that the that, that these writings are infallible, which means they are trustworthy. The word of God is trustworthy. It's sufficient, which means it's all we need. 2 Timothy 3.17 refers to the scriptures which are able to make us complete, equipped for every good work. So they are sufficient. They are God-breathed. I mean, the, the scriptures are from the very breath of God as he moved upon men to write his revelation. The statement goes on to say that God has divinely preserved the the Aramaic, Hebrew, and Greek texts, the the original languages, so as to make his will explicitly known and obeyed. This conviction requires a literal, historical, and grammatical interpretation to the totality of scriptures. What that means is that as we approach the scriptures, we look for the literal meaning Mm -hmm. And even though there are figures of speech, 
kinds of things, metaphors in the scriptures, we always look for the, the literal meaning. What literal truth was this figure of speech designed to communicate? That requires some study. It's also, uh, we, we approach the scriptures from a historical. What was the setting? What was the culture? It's really important that we understand that in order to hear what God is saying to even us. And grammatical interpretation uh, is important uh, because we believe that the scriptures are verbally inspired, every word is inspired. We believe it's important to understand and study the Greek words, the Hebrew words, and the grammar in which those words are placed. Mm. In order to understand the thoughts of God, we must understand the words and the grammar that are presented in the text that we read. So that's basically the statement in a summary. We, in summary, we believe the Holy Scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, they are verbally inspired. They're the final authority for faith and life. They are inerrant in the original writings. They are infallible. They are sufficient. They are God-breathed, and God has preserved the text so as to make his will explicitly known and obeyed. And in order to understand this word correctly, we, we insist upon a literal, historical, grammatical interpretation of those scriptures. Well, thank you, Roger. That was really, really great. Um, just a question for you. Uh, in there, it's it talks about you know the verbally inspired word of God and uh, just determining the you know it said the sixty six canonical books. Um, uh, what was kind of the requirements for determining the sixty six books and like why were those books determined to be inspired versus any other book that we might find? Yeah, if I could just step back a little bit. As I have taught in, in the past the doctrine of the scriptures, I see, a and, and I was taught way back in seminary days, a, a, uh, an illustration of a chain that on the left-hand side you have the mind and the will of God. On the right-hand side, side you have the attitudes, the will, the actions of man. In between the mind and will of God and man are, is, is a five-linked chain. The first chain link is called revelation, inspiration. In other words, God discloses himself through inspiration by breathing his heart and mind into the human author's. The second link is what we call transmission, in which it was the accurate copying of the original languages. And there was a, there's a science called textual criticism, uh, scholars who evaluate all of these manuscripts to determine which is the closest to the original. And then there's translation. Once we have these copies, these accurate copies, the third link is to translate those copies into languages. And then the fourth, 
link is what we call interpretation and illumination, which is the divine human process by which we discern what the Holy Spirit communicated through human authors, determining what the author meant by what he said. And then the fifth link is application, personalizing God's revelation to our lives. And my point is that all through this, I see a divine human process by which God, the superintendent of the partnership, moves in such a way that humans, without violating their own personalities or their own personal styles, communicate the revelation of God. Hmm. Now, how do we know that the 66 books of the Bible that we have today are indeed the Word of God? And why not 70 or why not 60? Why 66? Well, I, I, I define canonization by which it was determined which books are in the Bible. Mm -hmm. It's also a divine human process. I, I can't help but be convinced that just as God was involved in giving the revelation, so he is, was involved in preserving the revelation, yeah. just as he is involved in helping us interpret the revelation. So, we believe that just as the writings were collected, so God superintended the process by which we discern which books were truly inspired and which were not. Various church councils were held yeah. to discern which books were inspired. And in 397 AD, the present canon of 66 books was affirmed at the Council of Carthage. In the years to follow, uh, the Roman Catholic uh, Church added a few books called the Apocrypha, but the Protestants, in per and particularly at the Protestant Reformation, um, stuck to the original 66 because they saw that in these apocryphal books, even though there was some interesting and helpful historical information, there were teachings presented there that were uh, in conflict with historic orthodox understanding. And so the canon was established in 397, confirmed in the Protestant Reformation, and I, I believe our role is just to, to trust that divine human process mm -hmm. by which the scriptures were written and accepted as inspired. Yeah, amen. Yeah. I've always been encouraged to, and, and I've been told this, taught this in Bible college, that you know, there's many people um, in those days of when, it was, when the scriptures were being written, especially in the New Testament, um, that they were they were dying for these books. They were protecting these books, and there was some that were worth dying for, and some that weren't. And the ones that were were the ones that they, as like you said, the divine process of working through these these men and women that they were determining like this. They, these are the words of God. 
yeah. this this has to do with the gospel. Um, and so that's always encouraged me, just knowing that, I mean, there's people who sacrifice their lives protecting this sacred book. So, And I think one of the evidences that the divine, that God was involved in this process is the unity yeah. of the church in saying, this is inspired of God, this one is not. Yeah. They didn't determine certain books to be inspired. They just recognized Recognize, yeah. that certain books were inspired and certain were, were not. Yeah. Yeah, talking about the unity of the of the scriptures and just the kind of the it's crazy that they're it's so unified because it's three different languages, three different continents that was written on and you know, many different uh just cultures that are all related into this and so it's there's profound unity in this that it was a singular message about Christ is being said in this book you know it's it's yeah. beautiful and very confirming to um, its d- divine nature yeah you know one of the uh, criticisms or one of the lies regarding the Bible is that it was written by men it was man's understanding of God at that time. But when you think about it, you have 66 books written by about 40 different authors over a period of 1,400 plus years. And to see the unity of theme, the unity of message, Mm -hmm. the lack of contradiction. I mean, imagine if you were given the assignment of putting together a Bible (laughs) <laughs> over the next 1,400 years, yeah. and you got 40 different authors from three different continents, as you said, mm-hmm. say, okay, let's put it together. Would you come up with what we have? Oh, there's no way. No way. Yeah. No way. Yeah. <laughs> it so has true. to be a product of God. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Amen. Yeah, well, uh, you know, speaking of lies, and, um, you know, the Sunday you were addressing the lies that we believe um, and that's kind of what we're doing this month in, in the main service worship. Um, what are some common lies or mis- misconceptions about um, about the Bible, about the scriptures, and, and how would you respond to them? Well, I've already mentioned one, that uh, the lie that it's not God's word, it's man's word about God mm-hmm. as he understands it at the time. But we've already talked about that a little bit. A, a second lie that I that I uh, hear hear referenced uh, has to do with contradictions or errors in the Bible. Mm. But you know, when it comes right down to it, when you when a person says that, and you ask them to show you, uh, rarely can they. Mm. It's mostly stuff that they've heard secondhand or thirdhand. Mm. It is important to recognize that we don't have the originals. All we have are copies of the original. We call them manuscripts, and there are thousands of those. Yeah. And it's very possible that some error was made in copying manuscripts. For example, in some study Bibles, you will read a little footnote Uh, about a certain verse that earlier manuscripts add this or earlier manuscripts subtract this. So that kind of thing is 
bound to happen, and it's it is possible that a, a small error of some kind could creep into the translations, into the copies. Our conviction is that it's inerrant in the original writings, but it's very possible that in the process of transmission and translation, a little error could creep in. Mm-hmm. Another another way to look at it, some of the 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 um, contradictions that are raised come from the Gospels, where one Gospel might have things in a different order, yeah. or one Gospel might refer to, hey, there were two people there rather than three. Mm-hmm. And, and I think a good way to, to look at that is that when you think of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you really have four journalists mm-hmm. writing down the story of what they saw and when you have four different journalists writing what they saw, you're going to have some variations. Yeah. But when we talk about error, we're not talking about intentional deception. We're talking about seeing things a little differently and recording them as we saw them. But when you look at what certain individuals have brought up, of the scripture is, contains no contradiction. Mm -hmm. In the English translations, any contradiction involves a a minor detail of some kind. And it's it's understandable how that could happen. Uh, Some people also bring up, well, In Romans, I read about justification by faith. In James, I read about justification by works. Well, that's a contradiction, it seems. Mm -hmm. But when you get into studying it, you, you can see where the two different authors were coming from, but yet how their messages are in total alignment with each other. So contradictions can be seriously addressed if the heart is open to understanding what they were saying. Yeah. It, it's a heart issue. I think often an underlying attitude of those who point out contradictions and errors is, I don't want the Bible to be accurate mm. because then I'm accountable. Yeah. And uh, I don't want to be held accountable. That's, that's an underlying attitude for some. Some are very serious in their study of scriptures. They see this, well, that looks a little different than this, but they go, they study and they research and they meet with other individuals who are going through the scriptures and trying to learn together. Yeah, and that's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So Great, that's, that's really helpful. Um, my last question for you is, uh, what advice would you give to someone who is struggling to read and connect with God through the Bible? Mm-hmm. Well, if you're struggling, uh, just remind yourself that this is a um, divine human process. Reading and understanding a divine human book. And in order to understand the divine part, it's helpful to begin, as 
David expressed in Psalm 119. Open my heart that I may behold wondrous things of thy law. Hmm. If you're if you're struggling, begin with a prayer. Lord, open my heart. I do want to see. I do want to understand what you have communicated here. Also understand 1 Corinthians 2.11, that you need the Spirit of God to understand the works of God, the words of God. The natural man cannot understand the things of God. They're foolishness to him. So, so ask yourself, am I, am I living under the influence of the Spirit to the best of my knowledge? Am I living by truth I already know? Hmm. And if not, confess that truth, repent of that truth, because sin, disobedience, deliberate disobedience, creates barriers between you and God, and it, it, and it hinders your ability to understand the things of God. Hmm. I've I, many times, or years years ago, heard the expression that darkness uh, or light rejected brings darkness. Hmm. You know, if I reject light, I'm I'm not going to be able to see as well hmm. as I move forward. Hmm. But light received brings more light so the more i receive by faith what i'm reading the more i'll be able to understand what god has for me mm-hmm. and if if you if you're sincere in your approach to the scriptures you're you're asking uh, for god's guidance his that he would open your heart and as you're asking yourself am i am i willing to live by the truth that I see, uh, and you still are struggling, uh, jot down your thoughts, jot down your questions, uh, seek out others, uh, meet with people you respect spiritually one-on-one, or join a small group where you're getting into the Word together, and uh, you will find that to become more and more a part of your life, and more and more a joyful part of your life as you seriously approach the scriptures. Mm. Yeah, I, I really relate to everything you, you've said on this. Uh, um, just the feeling of going to the scriptures, ready to receive the word, or thinking I am. Um, but like what like what you said, you know, you, you already know what the word has said about this, and maybe you're not in obedience to it, and that's why you don't feel that connection with God. And I definitely have been in that place many times where— you know, I'm I'm going to the Word of God more as a to a checklist, and I'm not really going to it to obey it. And I can feel that in my life, and I can feel that distance between God and I because I'm distancing myself because I'm not obeying His Word. And right. um, so that that makes a lot of sense to me. And, yeah. and the and the very fact that uh, it, well, let me just put it this way: it involves discipline, it involves hard work, just as I need to exercise my body, which is often hard work, to stay in physical shape. I it's hard work to stay in spiritual shape. Yeah. It's discipline. It's it's a commitment to study and to reflect and to pray. Uh, even when we don't feel like it. Well, thank you, Roger, for sharing uh, with us on what we believe about the Holy Scriptures. This has been 
has been a really great time and very beneficial for me, and I, I pray for the rest of our congregation. So thank you for coming on the podcast. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you, Joel. You have been listening to the LBC Podcast, a podcast of Lord Glen Bible Church in Bakersfield, California. If you like listening to this podcast, please share with a friend and hit the subscribe button to stay up to date on all new podcasts. Thank you for listening, and God bless you. We'll see you next time.